Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to this episode of Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. Martin Harsberger, your host. This morning, I have Bud Morissette, CEO and Group President of the Interstate Family of Companies. Welcome, Bud. Good morning, Martin. How are you? Um, so far, so good. We, good. good. As we talked here. about last night, it was a little rough last night, but everybody's here. <laughs> well, good to hear everybody's doing well. So tell us about your company. I, I, I know I, I'm familiar, actually, seeing your trucks uh, on the road. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you do. Sure. Well, we are a uh, global uh, moving relocation and logistics enterprise uh, headquartered right outside of Washington, D.C. and Springfield, Virginia. Uh, been in business for 79 years now, and uh, I'm actually third generation, so we're privately held, family-managed uh, organization. So tell me about the, I'm, I'm familiar with the moving portion. I moved, mm-hmm. to, I worked for a big company for years. I moved about every three or four years. So. Sure. Uh, yeah, but uh, tell me about the logistics piece. I mean, what, is that new? Uh, actually, it's about 30 years old. So um, again, the company was started in 1943. Uh, pretty much as a uh, traditional, what you would think of as a moving company and as opportunities arose through the decades uh, um, and opportunities were presented by our customers and clients, uh, we actually entered the the third party logistics um, side of the business probably in the late 80s, um, early 90s. And, um, And it's actually been our fastest growing segment of what we offer over the last 30 plus years since then. It's interesting. So what kind of what kind of customers do you have? What do you do in that business? Sure. So what we do is we really support um, manufacturing industry sector um, as much as end user customers on the equipment and product side, um, a end to end program, as I would describe it, from planning to moving to asset management um, and uh, everything in between. Um, and again, we are on a global footprint. So uh, we probably, on the annual basis, uh, touch products and equipment uh, in upwards of maybe 100 countries, quite frankly. Wow. And um, a lot of, uh, you know, certainly a lot of what we're doing, uh, the end user is here in, in, the, in the States. But again, as we know what the manufacturing environment is, you know, a lot of the goods and products are being manufactured uh, throughout the world. And um, so... Uh, Uh, You know, a little bit of everything out there. We have a focus on technology and healthcare, but uh, we've been in automotive, retail, um, uh, various sectors. Interesting. I I knew, like I said, I've been familiar with the company and I didn't know Mm -hmm. you were in logistics until I saw your your profile. Sure. So uh, how's the supply chain uh, port (laughs) situation? (laughs) You knew you had to come to that, right? Oh, yeah. Well, if you'd asked me 24 months ago, I'd tell you one thing. And today I'm going to tell you another. The, uh, 
you know, um, again, the global pandemic um, and what that's created has really wreaked havoc in the industry um, and, and for everybody. It, it really doesn't matter what industry sector you're in or where you're located around the globe. Uh, you, you've had challenges that you probably have never encountered before. And uh, with the advent of the pandemic, it's just really escalated it to a magnitude and size that none of us had really had seen any had any experience with. Um, and, uh, you know, just I remember the early days of this going back to March of 2020. And again, I was being thrown challenges and questions from my team and our customers and our suppliers that I had never had presented to me in, in the 40 plus years that I've been doing this. And uh, so now, again, about 24 months afterward and two years into this, uh, you know, there's some resemblance of normalcy of what I guess normalcy will be going here on out. But um, it's um, it's it's built character in all of us. <laughs> it really has. And uh, way to put it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we all get something out of everything and <laughs> we've gotten a lot out of this one. But uh, and then and, and now what's transpired the last 60 days with, um, you know, anytime you have a global disruption associated with a war that also creates additional challenges, yeah. depending upon what area of the globe you're working in and out of. And um so it's it's um it's tough, but but you know we're we're getting through it, and we're and we're figuring out ways to deal with it, and uh, as everyone is, and uh, we'll all be better for it. Um, we're creating you know there's new processes, uh, new procedures, new methods, um, and new approaches that you know two years ago we wouldn't have thought considering at the time, but we we've, we've had to now, and um, so I I feel good about it. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be better us as an organization. I think we're providing better service to our clients and uh, we're actually creating some streamlining that uh, that hadn't existed before. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a, a gentleman on from IMC companies, uh, Drage company. Mm -hmm. He was talking about instituting smart stacks out in, uh, out in the LA uh, port. Mm -hmm. where he said a truck will go in if it's stacked 12 high and their containers on the bottom, they've got to move 11 stacks to get his. Yes. He's going in saying, I'll, I have enough trucks. I'll just take the first one and go. Right. Which made perfect sense. I, but I was amazed that we were doing that. that, that we would. <laughs> yeah. It, it Again, you know, <laughs> these things start to have you ask some questions about, you know, why were we doing it this way before and uh, and how can we improve it? And to, yeah. to his point, exactly. And uh you know, a lot of companies that work on a first in, first out basis. But again, if you've <laughs> you've got that first in that's hidden or inaccessible to get to, you got to figure a way to make it accessible yeah. and, and visible and and transparent, so everybody knows what's what's taking place. And you know, I, and again, if that was something out on the West Coast, we all know what's been taking place out there. Um, especially, it's been uh, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of press. You know, as far as uh, the ships out there waiting to get into the port. And, uh, you know, at any given time, maybe 100 plus ships trying to get offloaded and, uh, and the backups that it's created. The East Coast, that, that has taken uh, Charleston and Florida and some of those are coming on. Has that taken some of the load off the West Coast, do you think? Um, you know, again, what happens is on the East Coast, you're taking a lot of your European traffic coming in. And on the West Coast, you're taking a lot of your Asian. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. And so and then by the time if you try to look to reroute some, you know, uh, traffic lanes down through the canal or um, and then up and over the, the time that it that, that creates um, the cost that it creates, 
and um, and, the, and the additional expense it creates sometimes it it it, it isn't uh, conducive to do that. So, I was wondering um, about that. And I think you know on the East Coast we just have a little bit more flexibility with the number of ports that we have up and down the, the East Coast. And then you've had a number of ports, especially well called it Mid Atlantic or South Mid Atlantic area down at Savannah area and Norfolk that have been putting in some infrastructure improvements over the past six to eight years. Um, not really anticipating the demand that was going to be created now, but I think, you know, they, uh, it's, it's paying off for them at this point now. Yeah, it's interesting. You, know, you, you talked about the ships off the West Coast, the ship tracker. There was somebody on LinkedIn that was, was posting every day at 100 ships. And I went to ship tracker and, I, and I've, I've been in logistics myself for 40 years. Sure. And, and I looked at ship tracker on a worldwide, I looked at the coast coast and yet it had a hundred and some ships but then you look at it worldwide mm-hmm. nobody realizes how many ships are out there that are they, moving i mean they, they don't it's really incredible if uh and i would encourage anyone that just wants to have a little bit of fun to go out there on that app and take a look at it, it it's oh. pretty darn neat and uh and not to get off the subject here but i saw a very similar app that was tracking satellites um in space and it was the exact oh. same thing and it was really truly amazing um, on uh, what is actually taking place, uh, you know, a- around here that we really don't have a daily conscious of. No, you don't. I mean, it looked like you could walk across the water on all those ships, and like we had that problem in the Suez Canal a few months back, where the ship got grounded. Right. And I looked at that; it was backed up forever. Yeah, actually, really, we're the- living on a, in a on a borrowed time on the supply chain with it, and any kind of weather or anything. You could see the impact it has. Oh, absolutely, and. Um, uh, you know, even here on the East Coast right now, and even for the port of Baltimore right now, we've got a ship that's uh, run aground, a, a freighter um, out in the Chesapeake Bay, and it's been sitting there now for about a week and a half, and uh, um, he went off channel, and uh, and they still don't have him dislodged, and uh, they just working at it every single day. Oh. And, the, you know, again, the disruption that that just causes and the reduction in the and the uh, traffic that can come up and down the bay there to get into the port of Baltimore. Well, I haven't been there in a long time. That, that's changed a lot too, Baltimore. Oh, it has. It's and it's 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 a busy port. I mean, um, there's a lot going in and out of that Mid Atlantic area, and uh, you know, between New York, Baltimore, and Norfolk, there's an awful lot of traffic that comes in and out of there. Well, your business now, I mean, the moving business uh, is that is that fairly stable? Is it growing? Is it um... With the economy now, I guess that's what I'm asking. If you're in New York, you'd probably be doing well because everybody's leaving. So. <laughs> really, more California than New York right now. Be honest with you. The, um, uh, but I should probably keep my tongue one up there. The um, but uh, it, it's been it's been steady. Certainly, the COVID a lot of disruption associated with that, um, where you know everything there was pretty much a, a stop in in everything for at least sixty to ninety days there. Well, mm-hmm. everyone became acquainted with you know what they could and couldn't do. Um, the world's largest mover of, of individuals, customer side, is the uh, United States Department of Defense. And when the uh, COVID pandemic had hit, they actually had put a, a complete stop movement order out oh. there for all of the personnel globally. And, uh, and when you, you talk about uh, DOD, and I'm going to, uh, I believe it's somewhere around 335,000 moves a year for their, you know, military staff members, um, and they go and put a stop that that halts that supply chain uh, right there and wow. then. 
and uh, and all the associated parties to that. And um, and then um, you know then as time went on, everyone became a little bit familiar on what they could and couldn't do, and started testing different new processes and procedures and whatnot, and opening up the gates a little bit. Um, and then you know here certainly in the last twelve months or so, the floodgates have really opened up to global commerce again. And um, as we know, a lot of the infrastructure, when there was a stop and movement out there, um, you know, planes stopped and halted and trains stopped and halted yeah. and ships stopped and halted. And, and then they weren't able to retain their teams and personnel. And, and, uh, and then when everything kind of came back to, to movement again, um, you know, the infrastructure didn't exist. I mean, I know domestically in the United States right now, from a truck driver standpoint, I believe the numbers right now are saying there's a 30% reduction uh, in the available truck drivers that were present back uh, before the pandemic in March of 2020 and today. And so just the, um, the demands and the pressure that that's put on just the domestic trucking side of things is, is pretty, it's pretty great. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you. you already answered it. Your business, and, and I talked to a lot of logistics folks doing this, uh, got to be labor's got to be the primary. Now it's not labor and fuel costs, but <laughs> yeah, the um, um, you know in our industry sector, um, we're we're fortunate in that with our client agreements, uh, we typically have a um, a fuel um index that we're allowed to follow and then charge through to the customers so we as an organization and the drivers that we engage are pretty well protected against that but again at the end of the day someone's going to be paying for it and, yeah, and, exactly. and, and ultimately it's going to be the consumer of whatever good or product you know they're, they're purchasing is is going to feel the, the brunt of, of the of those fuel surcharges certainly but again, some, unfortunately, in some supply chain organizations, um, the drivers have uh, and suppliers have, um, you know, annual contracts that, you know, hedge a bit on fuel costs and, uh, and they're locked in. And so Ooh. that's that, that right there. They could, they could be feeling some pain right now, but hopefully if you have a good partnership, and that's the kind of approach that we like to have with everyone that we're dealing with, you have those sit down conversations and, and speak to the reality of things. Because if it's not a win-win situation for everybody involved and someone's losing, then it's, you know, it, it can't continue. And so that's, that's really our approach to everything we do is, kind of, is the partnership side of things. It has to be. I agree with you 100%. Um, where do you think your industry is going in the next five years from a logistics standpoint? Sure. I would, you well, know, the next five weeks. <laughs> yeah, really. The, uh, you know, really, in my opinion, nothing but up. Uh, I mean, as we all know, it's become really a, a, um, a demand environment. I mean, and, and who would have thought two years ago we would see that the, what's occurred with home delivery alone yeah. and uh, whether it's your groceries or it's Amazon or anything else for that matter. Um, and so that's put a lot of pressure on the, uh, the whole supply chain environment as far as just the immediacy to what you know everybody's wanting to have and when they want to have it and so there's opportunities um and and uh you know a lot of those opportunities evolve around technology advancement and ai and and other areas uh, there and uh, so for those that are um receptive are in that environment now have invested in that environment um i think there's going to be a lot of upside uh, for those organizations that haven't adapted it and haven't embraced it, 
uh, I think they've got some real challenges ahead of them. And yeah, uh, sure. I think it's going to be very hard for them to sustain themselves going forward. Yeah, I had a guy on a few months ago that does has a software program and evaluates zip codes mm-hmm. to determine the amount of uh, commercial and residential space in that zip code. And then they determine what size truck goes in there because he said it talks about like a my street. I got a circle here. So right. if a semi comes in here, it can't get out. Right. <laughs> you know? So uh, it's part of that technology thing. People are thinking that, you know, I can send a smaller truck because I know where it is. It's right. Yeah, no, um, route optimization is uh, certainly one of the, in my opinion, one of the fastest growing technology uh, yeah. tools out there. And, uh, and everybody can use it regardless of your area of supply chain support, you know, whether you're rail or air or uh, ground and ship, um, everybody can, can use those tools and traffic management tools. Um, they're, those, they're, they're hot right now and they'll continue to be hot. And, and as, uh, you know, as, as GPS and um, advances as well, it'll make it even more and more efficient. Yeah. Well, you, you've got to be more efficient with, with the driver shortage. You just said 30% less labor. So you've got to figure out a way to make that more productive which right. you do have without, without hurting them. Exactly. And, and, and it's really, it's connecting everyone because I mean, and as you said earlier, you know, you've been traveling up and down the highways and visiting family and whatnot, and you see all the trucks are out there on the roads. And so you see a vehicle, for instance, but you don't know where you might see a shipping container or whatever it might be, or see a train go by, but you never really know how full it is and, and is it being optimized? And so it's really, it's the technology that ties it all together. So, you know, just we as one simple organization have a visibility that there may be available capacity on whether it's that, 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 that truck, um, that's, that intermodal truck that's taking place, or it's that shipping line container that's taking place, or in, in that rail yard. And uh, because if I know that there's X amount of capacity, cubic feet capacity going from here to there, and I have a need, then, then that helps me satisfy that need that, that I have to satisfy my customer. And um, so the, the more that we can tie all that together and then provide visibility to it, then the more efficient that we all become collectively working together. So it's, again, it's a teaming approach. We all have to work together on this. Yeah, I think that's becoming more prevalent. I, 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 you said you dealt with the auto industry um, mm-hmm. in the past that yes. auto industry is famous for not working with their suppliers. You know, one of the reasons I included the supply chain in with manufacturing is because you're exactly right. You got to work as a team. Mm-hmm. Both of you don't win. You don't right. have a business. Right. Yeah. We all have to put our egos to the side and say that, uh, you know, two and three or eight heads are going to be better than one. And uh, exactly. let's work together to get this accomplished because at the end of the day, everybody will uh, have a better outcome. Absolutely. Well, anything I didn't ask you about your company you want to want to add? Uh, you know, I think you, you, it was pretty thorough. We're uh, uh, again, we're looking forward to celebrating 80 years next year. And um, the uh, we're very fortunate to have the team that we have in place right now. Uh, the uh, you know, I like to say we've got a very proficient uh, group uh, on board based upon our our expertise and experience and in the various subject matters that we, that we support for our various clients and whatnot. So, um, and uh, yeah, we're just, we're just looking forward to all the new opportunities that'll be ahead for us. And, 
and uh, never a dull moment in what we do. Years is to be <laughs> congratulated. I, I congratulate you for that. Well, I thank you. You know, it's uh, again being third generation eighty. I, I'm reminded quite frequently when I get into various family business uh, conversations with folks that you said, you know, everyone says, well, you know, not. I think that the statistics is like ninety six or ninety seven percent of of third generation companies fail. You know, <laughs> like thanks, thanks for reminding me that I have like a three or four uh, percent <laughs> opportunity for success. Here, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, let's talk about something else. Larissa, <laughs> <laughs> how can folks get in touch with you if they have any questions? Or, uh... sure, well, our, our company website is moveinterstate.com, uh, and uh, I'm available at uh, 703 226 3290, and uh, be happy to help anybody out that we can at any given time. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, Martin. You too as well. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain and would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss an episode, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harsberger uh, or through my website, www.martinharsberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.